Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. It's a Bitcoin Podcast. The only one that's making your money is you. So hold on. Hey everybody, welcome to uh, the Bitcoin Podcast. This is episode number 286. Uh, I'm the host that talks first, V. I'm another host, Dr. Corey Petty. Yeah. So I think we're getting close to 300. We are getting close to 300. Um, we always say we're going to do something, but then never do. Like I feel I like we should get drunk I, again like we used to. Say what? Just get drunk again like we used to. We need to be getting drunk every 10th episode. Like we stopped that at so two fun. episodes in and it was the funnest thing. I looked forward to it every time. And we really should start doing that because I've, I've gotten more refined in my alcoholic tastes, Corey. Oh, yeah? Yeah. When I'm what, in is, the gro- what is refined now? I don't know. Like when I'm in the grocery store and I'm looking at beer and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to get a six pack. I'm going to get one of those big giant beers with foreign languages on it. It makes me feel distinguished. Oh, yeah? The, yeah. the $30 beer? That yeah. I don't know what it means? Yeah, like, <laughs> hmm. You know what? I'll get a six-pack in one giant bottle, and it'll be from uh, Uzbekistan. And it'll be, fa- <laughs> it'll be fancy. Yeah. That's how you'd know you're a fancy drinker. Yeah. I think you called me out on it last time I visited you. And I was like, yeah, hey. I was trying to buy some whiskey. And you're like, hey, man, why don't you get that $300 bottle of whiskey? I was like, why? Was he's like, because like, it's expensive, so you know it's good. I was like, is like, that your criteria for things being yeah. good? Is they're expensive? Yeah, dude, it's, 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 that's, that's how you do it. It's, if it's expensive, it's it's more valuable and better than the other stuff. That's just If science. you can't appreciate it, you don't understand why it's that expensive, you shouldn't buy it. Mm-hmm. That's, my, that's my take. If you don't know why it's that expensive and you're only buying a, a name, or you're buying it because you want others to see that you have it, it's not worth it. I don't think it's, it's the latter because nobody's going to see me just drinking my own whiskey. But. Yeah, but everyone kind of has that like feeling like they want when they come over to for people to see they have some like, you know, 18-year bottle of scotch sitting on the table for special occasions. Or the funny thing is right? like, it's like when you're in that moment, it's such a fleeting moment and you never remember it again. It's like, Hey, I've got a, I've got a twenty, I've got a twenty-year single barrel. You want some of that? And you're like, sure. I mean, it's gonna have the same effect. So, <laughs> so well, I like pour that shit out of scotch and stuff. But I'm not trying to pay that much. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, how was, how your, was week? your week? I said it first. Okay. Uh, my week was great, man. I've got a, a great new client. I'm out in Pittsburgh. I'm learning a lot. Uh, we're doing a lot. I'm rebuilding estimating tools and processes uh 
for the construction industry, which is a fun industry because I feel like there's never there's never not construction happening. And it's really just about how you like position yourself um, to stand out and get into people's uh, conversations. You know, it's a fun system. It's like, hey, I got some work and then a bunch of people bid on the work and you get to choose, you know, who's got the best bid. And it's it's really cool. It's fun. What I've learned from my brothers, who are both in the construction industry, uh, a network is incredibly important. Like who you know and what connections you have and what reputation you have amongst those people. It's incredibly important in that in that industry, amongst probably every industry, but more so there because you need bids and stuff like that. You know, like people need it's hard to find good work in construction mm-hmm. that's consistent. Yeah. I'd say and, you can probably say the same thing across the board. It's hard to find good, consistent work if anything yeah, you do. That's very true. And the construction is like it's, it's your your work speaks loudly. And then, you know, then you don't have to talk so much uh, when you are building your network. People are just like, oh, yeah, you do that work on time and for the price that you quote. You're awesome. So, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's, been a, it's been a fun week. Pittsburgh is cold. It's balls. But other than that, pretty good. How about you? Not bad. Um, spent quite a bit of time putting together this um, Ethereum-enabled singing coordinated <laughs> lights Christmas tree. For uh, uh, for a charity event called Mary Merkel that happens every year, it's happening in New York this year. So I'm uh, making the Christmas tree. So every time someone donates, it should the light the, the tree will do something. <laughs> Your Freaking. life is pleasantly random. It's weird. I don't know how I get thrown into these things. So basically, every time what someone do you mean donates, you know, no. you, vol- you volunteer. Oh, people ask me. People come to me and ask me, like, "Hey, can you do this?" And it ends up being like a lot of work. After I say yes. Yeah. The <laughs> irony in that is that you get on me for that all the time. And you, here's you doing the same thing. This is for charity. <laughs> huh? Oh, yeah. Is that what justifies it? <laughs> this, this is for charity. For kids, bro. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I can dig it then. Oh, they made, they've made quite a bit of money in the past couple of years. I mean, one year they think they made like $160,000 for schools in Africa. Well, that's actually that stretches mighty far for depending on what country in Africa you're in. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's a really good cause and events tend to be uh, relatively large and it makes quite a bit of money each year. So I don't mind contributing to it. Dope. If I can't contribute a bunch of money to it, which I can't, then I'll contribute like time, time and effort and stuff like this. You you just got such a jar, a large heart, bro. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, on today's show, well, firstly, we have an interview today. We didn't last week. It was, you know, the, the, the holidays get weird, audience. You know, sometimes people are there, sometimes they're not. Like, it's just tough to schedule interviews. Weird but for we us, do. too, man. I'm, I got, I want to spend time with my family and yeah. do things during the holidays, take a break. Everyone should. Hell yeah. But um, anyway, we, we have an interview today. Uh, her name is Morgan Richard, and she is a podcaster, a financial advisor. Um, she does not stray away from crypto when she's giving financial advice. So that is why I sought her out. Because for many years now, at least three, I've been trying to get a financial advisor on the show that wasn't scared to talk to crypto. Because 
I don't know, like people that are in professions that have been going a while, change is new. And they're like, oh, I'm not fucking with that change. There's no standard on the books. So and it's kind of hard as a, like a official financial advisor when you're dealing with something that has no regulation around it and is iffy in terms of like it has like a zeitgeist of I don't know if that's the right word, but like the general idea that people have about it is that it's for like dark nets and illicit finance and stuff dark. like that. It's like if, if you were someone who didn't understand this technology and you're a financial advisor, it's reasonable to be like, ah, I'm going to leave that one alone. Yeah. But for us who like know it, you know, well-versed and understand a lot of what's going on, it's like, okay, well, then this is a reasonable thing to add to a portfolio appropriately. Yeah. Like if you don't know any of that stuff, you don't know what the, you don't know what appropriately means. So you can't ever advise it. Yeah. It's about having your um, circle of competency and that's something we can go into in the show. But before we, um, have you heard, heard that phrase, Corey? Circle of competency. Yeah. No. So it's a Warren Buffett special. Warren Buffett and his homie, uh, the the white guy with the giant glasses, they say that you should have two to three markets that you know like the back of your hand. And everything else is just a diversification security blanket. And he's like, that's your circle of competency. So like Warren Buffett is like publicly known to like, yeah, I don't fuck with tech stock. And they're like, oh, you missed out on Google. You missed out on Facebook. And he's like, I don't give a shit. That's not my circle of competency. Right. So if you have your circle of competency and then you just know, know it, then everything else is just icing on the cake because you're because you're performing well in the markets that you're competent in. But anyways, let's put it this way. I don't think I have a circle of circle of competency. In terms of I investments. think my I think I want mine to be crypto like I, oh, I, want, I, I understand crypto. I don't understand the markets. I don't think anyone understands the markets. So like, I wouldn't personally invest in crypto. I wouldn't throw a bunch of money in it right now. It's, it's, I don't know, like maybe Bitcoin. I'd throw some in Ether. I wouldn't put a lot of money in it. Crypto is like a, it's a careful balance between technical analysis and fundamental analysis. Right? Like, I looked at the prices a lot in the past. And whenever you get these double digit jumps, you get these like single digit pullbacks or these single digit like gradual steps up. And I mean, it's 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 not a market that's not it's, I'm not saying like it's easy to play, but I am saying if you pay attention to it, you can stand to, to make a lot of money because it's not like things don't just catch you by surprise in the crypto market. They don't you if you want to spend the time paying attention to the price movement. Then you might have some some work there, or, or the complete opposite, which is what uh, the interview talks about. Is like a a thirty yearable. I think we coined that term during the interview. Yeah, um, that was a good like term. You, by you, the way. You, you you put money into something you think will be around thirty years later. If you look at this entire ecosystem, there's maybe two or three you can potentially say is a thirty yearable, and I'm not even one hundred percent confident to say those things are going to be around. Mm. And so, like that, that then changes how you would allocate money to it from an investment standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I, I it makes I, it ultra high risk, and that's the thing is like it's ultra high risk. So, like, it is so early that well, if you put money into it and it does pay off, which is a like a relatively low probability because it's volatile, then you stand to make a lot of money. But because it's high risk, 
you stand to completely lose that money. And I think that's what people lose off when they like usually proselytize this stuff or evangelize it is mm. they didn't say like, oh, like there's a good chance that you lose all this money. They talk about all the cool stuff that can happen, deflationary uh, economics, Keynesian, whatever the hell they're going to talk about, right? In terms mm. of how this, with the possibilities and how it changes the internet. It's the future. They can say all these things, but they don't say, well, the thing I'm talking about, this particular digital scarcity in this network mm-hmm. may not be the one that does all of those things. Yeah. That's something true. will, in my opinion, something will, but I don't know what it's called yet. And the funny thing about this stuff is if it's not the network that you invest in, if you don't like, say, for instance, if something will, and you invest in Bitcoin, you don't win if it's not Bitcoin or derived from Bitcoin. Right? Yeah, but that's that's like any other market. Like there were people True. that were invested in in pets. That's not how we sell this, right? That's not how we sell this right now. When you talk to most people, they may have a, an affiliation with a uh, given network that whatever bags they're holding is what they're pushing. But they but they pitch the overall idea of what's going to happen and how it's going to change the world. Well, and a that's lot of because times they, they overstep those boundaries. We stopped selling money somewhere between 2017 and now, and the the smart contract and uh, you know automated money and programmable this and that kind of took the narrative and ran with everything for a while. But like the the money narrative and becoming a new money, that was the 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 swap and the thinking that that needed to happen and the behaviors that go along with it. But what couldn't happen is the behaviors that go along with it, because a lot of people start using Bitcoin. We found out, holy shit, <laughs> this is expensive to use. It's, it can't be money. Can't be expensive to use it has to be a medium of exchange. And so, um, once we figured out like, Oh, it's not, it can't be the best money right now. Then, I think it started to go sideways just because then if you're not money and you don't have a purpose and a well-defined thing, then you're just a hammer looking for a nail. And that's why I think we're kind of stuck from 2017 to now. The whole crypto ecosystem, whatever fancy words you want to use, is just like a hammer looking for a nail because the effect of money is something that can't be forced Right. Like it's people didn't just say like, okay, we're switching from salt to paper money or we're switching from seashells to salt. Now it's like something happened in there that caused that emergence of, yeah, we need to stop using seashells as money and we need to use salt now. Like what was it? And something happened between the trade of the Western world and China where the Western world was like, yeah, we need to stop carrying around little fucking bags of gold on our hip. That's really stupid. China's got this paper money thing. Like we should we should see if we can give that a go. Like, I don't know what magic ingredients that sparked that initial condition to some giant group of people saying, yeah, we're not going to use that money. We're going to use this money now. Funny enough, that that spark was something centralized. It was, it was somebody with a whole bunch of money who started giving out loans, but didn't want to didn't want to give out the loan. He just gave a basically an IOU for the loan. Like here's a certificate of ownership. You can pass that around mm. because I don't want to mess with the actual physical 
valuable thing because that's too much of a hassle. It's much easier for you to pass around this paper that says you own it. And you can just trust that I'll take care of it. Hmm. And so the, those, those in power made those changes because they had the power to do so. So they were late. They lazied their way into changing history. <laughs> that's more, I call it more efficient and economical. Like they didn't, it, it, that's kind of like effectively lowering the fees associated with dealing with it. Right. Yeah. If it costs money to move something, like say, for instance, you had to move a bunch of gold, that costs a lot of money to move a bunch of gold. Why not just move a piece of paper that says you own the gold mm, and cut out, cut out all those fees? That's effectively lowering fees. So it was, it was reasonable for them to do those types of things back then. But since they had all the money and power, they were the ones that can enact that change. Some, some schmuck yeah. who didn't have a lot of money trying to do this, they'd be like, yeah, yeah right. No, give me the money. Give me the gold. Yeah. And history is going to, I think history is going to repeat itself again, is that there's ever a push to cryptocurrency, it's coming from central entities. Mm, I don't like that. I don't like it either, man. But think about like, we talk about decentralization, we talk about all these, people don't give a shit about that stuff. Like they want easy, they want centralization. That's everybody's natural ebb and flow. Unless we can give them centralization properties and feelings while it's decentralized in the background, then people aren't going to go with it. People centralize. I think we can. can. Everything. It's going to start, but it's not going to be sexy the way it starts. That's what I mean. Like when I first, when I purpose, like previously talked about um, building infrastructure and then like you can't build, it's, 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 probably impossible. If, if not impossible, it's constrained. You can't build something decentralized on top of something centralized. But you can do the opposite. It's much, much, much easier to build something centralized on top of something decentralized. Look at Coinbase, right? Mm-hmm. So people use Coinbase because it gives them all of their quote-unquote centralization, ease of use type stuff. The feelings, bro. But it's the built feelings. on something decentralized. So if you yeah. want you have the option to take it out of Coinbase and start using the decentralized part underneath it. Yeah. I think one of the, that's that's adoption in my opinion, until we get people used to that. Yeah. There's like that interim part. People need to like, I feel like there needs to be just like when it comes to like what you said, centralization on top of decentralization, we need to do the same thing with other aspects of this community like some maybe there's a central planning built on top of this decentralization like because for example there's some things that need to be prioritized in this whole space and if somebody could speak loudly to all the projects like a centralized namespace i think like ethereum namespace is great because nobody wants nobody in the real world wants to say all right pay me at this 36 character random ass address and they're gonna like, what the fuck is? Are we spies now? Is everybody a spy? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> is that what we're doing? No, is, pay me at myname.money. Okay, it's that easy. Just like an email address. Here's my name dot money. That's where you send money to me. That would be pivotal. That would change a what, lot of things. You can't do that. Yeah, you can, but it's it doesn't seem like it's something that's like being it's even not, marketed. Well, that's the thing. It's like it's or, not ubiquitous across all of the things that use like let's say ENS which is the Ethereum naming system um, is integrated into a lot of applications and wallets so that you can just type in like petty.f and it'll send things to me That's don't gorgeous. do that because I don't own that it's gorgeous 
I don't own that. So don't do that. I think I have core petty. It's not, it doesn't matter. I don't own that. Yeah. Don't do that. Everyone that's not going to Corey. (laughs) Um, um, but I mean like, yeah, an H and S, uh, the handshake handshake is another one, man. That's trying to do something even bigger. I'd say, or like broader than that, which, which should encompass the same mm-hmm. thing. It should be integrated with DNS. They're not launched yeah. yet. So we'll wait to see if it happens. And another thing is I used to be uncomfortable with this thing. I used to be uncomfortable with the people. I was uncomfortable when Zcash did it first, when they were like, yeah, we're going to take this big chunk of all of it. And it belongs to us because we made it. And I was like, oh, man, their founders fee. Yeah. The founders fee. And I was like, man, that's kind of shady. But now I look at it as, we deserve to be rewarded for the hard work. If somebody starts using this protocol that we built and it's it's making everyone's lives easier, then we deserve to be rewarded for our hard work and our continuous like work towards the project. And so I, I kind of have changed my viewpoint on that now. And you're touching on something that I think is incredibly important. Um, which is my I think my my v- lens for evaluating um how good or fair or egalitarian a given project is. And that is looking at the distribution of value across that whole thing, mm-hmm. right? And so most of the time when you look at Bitcoin maximalists or people who proselytize Bitcoin and and hate on other things, they do it through the distribution and the way that Satoshi initially set up how you get value out of this network. You started the chain, those who mined the chain got the coins. Mm-hmm. That's it. There is no pre-allocated amounts to anyone. Uh, there is nothing else. It's like if you downloaded the client and ran it, you got coins. That's how coins got distributed, period. Mm-hmm. And so it was very egalitarian. Now, we end up with a very large distribution in the hands of the early people, obviously, because they were the ones that used it first. So they should be rewarded greatly for taking the risk to use it. Mm-hmm. Now, the vast majority of those coins are dead because people threw away hard drives, Satoshi's gone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that was that distribution process was fair and egalitarian. Mm-hmm. And I would say almost everything else after that isn't that. And so that's why they say Bitcoin is the best because it, it had that fair distribution process. Now we can argue a bunch of things in terms of how the distribution actually looks today and who has power. But the process of getting there was always set and known. You look at Ethereum, Ethereum, what they call as a pre-mine, yeah. is they sold credits, basically. They said, like, okay, if you would like to invest in the creation of this platform, you can buy Ether, and that will be built into the Genesis block of Ethereum. So that when it starts, you will have a preset amount. Right, and then we will go across the you know, proof of work distribution rate that, that Bitcoin does. It's changed. It's it's not the same inflation rate or, or method, and it's it's more complicated. Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing. You produce blocks. You 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 put new ether into into existence, and that's the only way to do it. So people bitch about the quote unquote pre mine of Ethereum because they basically did a pre sale, and those who would like to invest into it did so with their Bitcoin. And got an allocated amount at the Genesis block. Yeah. And you have something like Zcash, which is, um, they have what's called the founders fee, and I, I don't have the correct percentages here, but I think it's I think it's it was twenty percent. They recently yes, changed it. Twenty. 
it, they recently down. changed it. I think so. There's been a lot of arguments around kind of how that gets reestablished uh, mm. over the next, the next time period. Um, and 20% of every block reward went to basically a founder's fee, which they then used to uh, work for development. So they, they used that money to fund the, to fund their research to then push quality of Zcash. And arguably, they did a very good job in the allocation of those resources to make Zcash better. Mm. But who knows? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how all the details there. But that's the whole idea of it. And a lot of other people have done similar type things where uh, they basically set a piece of each block to go to some development fund. I think Dash also does this. And then they vote on um, how that development gets done and what projects to fund and so on and so forth. So like how you do distribution of a given network or how the tokens are distributed across a network drastically informs how fair and egalitarian it is and who has power. Yeah. And I, I just, I agree with the fact that if you put a lot of blood, sweat, uh, sweat equity into something, and then people eventually start to use it a lot, you're going to be rewarded for that. And that's no different in any other thing in life. It lit- It's not, it's the same. You're going to be rewarded for it. Like if you create something and it's yours and then you like get it, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Patented and people have to use your thing or you're selling licenses to your thing, you're going to get rewarded. Like it's not like anybody's like saying, Microsoft, you make too much money because everyone uses Windows. It's like, no, you kind of deserve the money you get because Windows is pretty baller still. Like it's still going. Here's the question. Here's the question you have to ask where it gets really, really odd and shady and difficult to answer within the cryptocurrency space. Mm-hmm. What is the network selling? What are they saying when they say use this platform? Are they saying it's fair, equal, equitable, um, like removing power, uh, giving power back to the people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, say Bitcoin, Ethereum, things like that do. If they say that and the distribution of power within value says something differently in terms of like if they say like no one can outvote or like change the behavior unless the community comes to a vote. Well, if one person controls enough voting power to say whatever the fuck they want, then all of the previous statements are false. So let's use a real example. Hex. A perfect example of this is Hex, right? Well, that, this is this is not even a perfect example because it's not it's a, it's a it's an outright scam, right? It's just done in a way that doesn't. You don't use that word loosely. Either. I don't. I don't use this word loosely at all. Like okay. I refuse. I hate the way people use this word because they use it way too loosely and attribute everything that they don't understand as a scam. This is a scam. Yeah. Let's pause for the cause here, guys. This yeah, is a scam, right? We don't do this flat often. out, period. This is a scam. There's lots of scams. It's just that have- done in a way that doesn't initially yeah. trigger most people's scam alarms. If you look at the website, it don't come to that conclusion just based on how the website sells itself then you need to redefine how you evaluate scams because the website is just screams scam to me. And then a further investigation, it even, it makes my stomach churn how scam it is. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. I think it was between this and BitConnect are the only two where we've kind of stopped the show and said one coin. Oh yeah. I I have one coin. Yeah. Or like, yeah, this is a scam. Yeah. Or in a weed, weed, that pot thing. Uh, We didn't, we didn't, 
Oh, yeah. we, we didn't talk about it. We just refused to interview them. <laughs> That's so funny. We had to write the. You wrote them an email back that was like, "This project is so shitty. We don't want to interview you anymore." <laughs> yeah. And then, and then surprise, surprise, like it ended up being kind of sorry. Scary. I don't want to talk to your famous people that you've paid to talk to me. This is mm. outright scamming. <laughs> but like, so it's this project that. It's really hard. It's kind of hard to explain to the dynamics, but basically everything it's designed to say, put money into this and you will be rich. And that's basically the, what the, the entire website says. Let's look at the first like sentence. First sentence of the webpage. Uh, Hex.win. Bitcoin went up 26x from $750 to $20,000 in only 378 days. Ethereum went up 233x from $6 to $1,400 in 403 days. If you got in at $1 and made seven times more, sorry, if you got at $1, you made seven times more. Imagine how 1400X returns feels. So already they're trying to like get you to feel like, oh my God, what would it be like to make that much money, right? This is the mm -hmm. first sentence on the whole fucking webpage. Some people got in three times cheaper than that. So they say, had you put in $223 when you first could, it could have gone up 4,500X to one, from $1 to, okay, so to $1 million in only 3.5 years. Life-changing. And then in bold, most of the wealth in the world is made by those who get in first. That's the first paragraph of this website. They put a it, profit simulator? It says nothing about what this is. It says it made up things, like in a lot of what-if scenarios, and, say, and, and gave you the context of you need to be first to, to, to get at huge gains. Yeah, now, guys, this is a scam. If anything ever does this, write it off. Period. Yeah, that's, the, that's what you do as a scam: is you get people to imagine themselves as wealthy by putting money into a project early and getting ridiculous gains without explaining anything. Yeah, and this dude dresses like the dude from Ace Ventura: Pet Detective. Oh, he's a too. living cartoon character. Let's not get into him. He's he's a he's a massive joke of a human being. He looks like he stepped straight out of Jim Carrey's imagination, like just just <laughs> just leaped straight out into real life and was like, "I got loose. What am I gonna do out here?" And as you continue, they then go on to show you a litany of all the ways you're going to make money. At There's no a, point did they tell you what the coin is for. But Corey, did you see the profit simulator? What problems it solves? How it's done? The tech specs are laughably not tech specs. It's just a bunch of shit that's, that says absolutely nothing. Like there's nothing useful in any of the tech specs that I've read. The audits, in which they say they have, are hilariously bad. From people who like, I guess Chain Security is a legitimate um, auditing company, but they have not "quote unquote" released their audit because it's "quote unquote" too technical, mm. which is usually means that they don't have one. Like, there's there's nothing about this that says this is a legitimate project. And when you dig deeper into the actual contract, um, basically every piece of money that you "quote unquote" donate, he, he's very he's very careful to not use the word "sell" either. You get transformed into hex, and then that hex goes back to your account or gets attributed to your account, and also gets the same amount yeah. minted to the origin account. 
So before we go into like the interview and segue to that to give the audience kind of a break, because we're going to come back to Hex. This is what I'm talking about, where we need to start to kind of build a roadmap to how do we have centralized effects on top of this decentralized tech? Like we could have an entity or something that puts a stamp on things that prevents people from even fucking with it at all. Then how do you keep the entity honest? That's the whole thing, right? It's like you just talked about having basically a trust. Okay. Well, you know, I'm not. I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying that these are the things that are needed. These. This is why we created these things in the first yeah. place. What like, I found so far is it's it's because we've distributed power uh, more than any other thing that exists today in these ecosystems. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to ostracize bad actors. It's very difficult to kick people out because no one has the power to just be like, "Oh, this is clear. The standard gone." Yeah. This. Yeah. And then well, the fact that the fact of ignoring these people, because right now, like, I don't want to spend my time looking at scammers because it makes me sick. Like, it's the it's 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 the most vile thing that I that I hate in this world is people taking advantage of others' ignorance. And this is what and, I was. Go ahead. Go ahead. And I, when I do that, it makes me sick, and I don't want to spend my time doing that because it's it, like I'll just end up becoming a very distasteful human. We need a bunch of robo ducks in the crypto community, crypto community that go around and look at scammers and point them out. Like, yeah, but that's the thing is, like, they're not doing that. And how you, and I've even pointed people out. What effect is this going to have? I don't know, but we've got to get to a point where the incentives to make a new currency and a new mythos and a new bullshit story to get people to pour money into that currency is less of an incentive. To just contribute to the existing structures, the okay. existing things. We got to get to that point somehow. Because right now, every single time, even if somebody I'm talking to is just, just a little bit like intelligent, they hear the whole spiel on cryptocurrency and then they ask me like dead serious. They're like, let's make one. You and me. You said you know how to do it, right? It's just a copy and paste of the repository. Let's fucking do it. And I'm like, wait, no, like. You didn't hear all that stuff about like deflationary currency and synergy, like synergy (laughs) and all this cool stuff. And they're like, no, 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 no. Fuck all that. Let's make our own token and let's sell that shit. And I'm like, you can't. uh, That's not how any of this works. That's not how this works. That's the problem is that people, (laughs) they, that's their initial idea is like, let's get rich. Everyone else got rich. Why don't we get rich? And that's, I think those days are gone in terms of an egalitarian way of doing that. Yeah, for the most part, we may have another pump cycle, but it's not going to be nearly as as big. But it's going to be built. I hopefully it's going to be built on actual utility and not just mm-hmm. speculation. That's what I hope. Who the who the hell knows what's going to happen? But like this stuff, like it's it's really really hard for me to come to a conclusion here because ignoring it doesn't help because mm-hmm. it it just allows the people who are doing it to take advantage of the ignorant without people like me coming in and calling bullshit in a, in a way that's not like that that's objective and understandable for the people who are investing in it. It should, that, that needs to be a universal response from everyone who understands the robo duck protocol. That's what we need to call it. If you guys don't know who robo duck is, you're too fucking young. You need to Google that right now. All right. Let's um, go to the interview. We'll come back to it. 
So we're going to segue into the interview. This is Morgan Richard. She's a financial advisor. Um, this this wasn't supposed to be one long commercial for her services, but um, I mean, she didn't. We just had a great interview. A lot of wisdom, a lot of just nuggets of of how to prepare yourself for the future when it comes to uh, how you're managing your money and your finances. So um, here it is. Yo. We're going to do another Bitcoin podcast interview. Um, so for today's interview, uh, we are, are pleasantly um, met. Uh, let's run this back because I just lost all my words. Jesus Christ, that was rough. Yeah, that was, that's a first. <laughs> I don't think that's ever. <laughs> wow. Five years of doing this. Like all Can we not just so left. people can hear how bad that was? <laughs> Let's leave it in. Let's, um, wow. Okay. In 10. Uh, hey, everyone. Welcome to another Bitcoin podcast interview. Today, uh, we're joined by Morgan Richard. She, um, well, she's, I said I wasn't going to do this. I'm going to do it anyway. She's a financial guru. Uh, no, she's a, she's a financial advisor. Um, owns two businesses involving uh, giving financial advice and um, you don't shy away from crypto, which a lot of financial advisors do. So I wanted to have you on the show so we could have a conversation about it. So welcome to the show, Morgan. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. I'd say there's 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 two parts here. Uh, one is like financial advisors tend to shy away from Bitcoin and blockchain and anything else in the space. And the opposite, people like us will always preface things by saying this is not financial advice. <laughs> I think that's how I start every single show that yeah, I have. I think you, take, you want to go ahead and say <laughs> that just to get it out of the way? Anything in this is not financial advice? Yeah, so nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued to be investment advice is um, typically how I start every money owner show mm. and probably how you should start every single one of these if you're going to give any kind of financial advice. And really, you shouldn't be giving any advice. Oh, I don't give advice. Wait. <laughs> my advice my advice is to go do research <laughs> yeah yeah that's a good that's a good piece of advice invest, invest what can your happen time. like if we don't what happens if we don't say that so i feel like for you guys it's probably not a big deal but um one of my companies is a registered investment advisor and we have pretty strict rules about what we can and can't say regarding investments um that said bitcoin was considered to be not an investment so um, technically, anything I say about Bitcoin isn't considered investment advice. Um, having said that, though, I feel like it's it's my prerogative to make sure that people understand what we're talking about and not just, you know, saying anything and everything to make somebody buy something is typically what I consider to be investment advice, regardless of what the SEC considers to be an investment. Mm. So this whole time, Corey, we didn't even have to say hashtag not investment advice. It's more fun <laughs> to say it. Not an investment. It's more fun to say it because typically when you say that, you immediately follow it up with what could be misconstrued as investment advice. Or you're not even misconstrued. <laughs> it probably just is, but we're just saying it. it's not. <laughs> so the, the, the sure. question I'm, I'm curious about because I've you don't you don't get to talk to many people like this, I'd say, is um, how has the clientele changed over the years? Like it must have been difficult early just to try and get people to understand what this was. And it's no longer difficult to get people to understand or listen to the word Bitcoin or react to it because they know what it means. But I'd imagine the clientele from um, giving advice or letting them know where what part of their portfolio they should be potentially a part of has changed over the years trying to like 
talk to people? Yeah, for sure. So my financial planning practice is now five years old. So I guess so when I started out my practice, it was 2014. Um, and Bitcoin was definitely something that I knew about for quite some time, just because I, I guess we'll just say this off the bat. My husband is Pierre Richard. We met in 2013. He's been talking about it since before he met me. So Bitcoin was kind of a household name around for us at least mm -hmm. so it seemed very commonplace to me at the time when i was hearing about it but for sure people were not talking about it it was definitely not something that ever came up in conversation with clients um i think that like family and friends who knew us would always ask me about stuff just because i was dating him at the time and now married to him um so i i definitely i feel like as from that perspective i heard more questions because of it as a result just because oh you're you know your husband's the bitcoin guy like what should i know about bitcoin you know that kind of a thing um but over the last i guess it was the last bull market cycle in 2017 um when it hit uh 20,000 or i'm not exactly sure what the price is i don't i don't follow as closely i think as most but um when i really started to hear from clients like oh like this is this a thing like is this something i need to be worried about is this something that i should be considering in my portfolio um And especially this past year, so after it went through that bull market cycle this past year, people started to take note because of everything going on with the Fed and also with interest rates and things that Trump has said about wanting to lower interest rates and make the dollar more competitive abroad. Um, and I had a lot of clients come into my office asking about whether or not gold was something that they should be considering. And once the conversation started about gold, we were actually able to very easily talk about things like Bitcoin. Mm. Be honest with me. Did... Did he bring up Bitcoin in y'all's first date? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think there was like it was a recent thread where some woman was like, oh, um, if you're, you know, if the person you're on a date with brings up Bitcoin in the first date, like, you know, no second date or something like that. And then some other woman replied like, oh, but, you know, what if he sends you Bitcoin as an apology? <laughs> and that's like the story of our relationship. Like. <laughs> um Stop. so yeah Stop pretty early bitcoin. on pierre sent me a bitcoin um and it's the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> you're a very patient woman i've talked <laughs> about bitcoin on the first and last date about three times now <laughs> so, <laughs> it usually doesn't go over well bitcoin and baked lasagna that's not it's not a good it's not a good combination it's not a good podcast so, title i feel like that's a good podcast title <laughs> it sounds like yeah it be. bitcoin and baked ziti That should be the name of the podcast. Um, so I guess what I'd ask is like, since Bitcoin is not an investment, but I mean, if it, we just acted like it was, uh, how do you, I don't want to say, no, we can't say advice because we've already said <laughs> this is not advice, but okay. I'll tell you what I did and tell me why I might go to jail later. Okay. So what that I sounds did, <laughs> So, <laughs> perfect. So, I'm not in compliance though, so you know I don't have the the uh, end word on it. <laughs> so, so what I typically do is I say, look, if you ruin your life, that's on you. But I think that like if you were to treat it as a really risky investment, you should like partition a very small amount of your portfolio, and it's essentially gambling at this point in time. Like maybe it won't be someday, but right now. It's gambling. So why would you want to gamble with your wealth? So I say like, hey, take your cash flow, take a small percentage. We're talking single digits. And that goes to cryptocurrency. Yeah. And like no one has stabbed me yet. Like no one has threatened. 
to hurt me. Um, people seem to just be elated with how that's developed for them over the past, I don't know, five, let me see, wow, six or seven years. So, like, I can't go to jail for that, can I? No, so it's actually how I approach the conversation with people. So I think that if you have... You have to always take into some into account somebody's risk tolerance. So it's it's hard to give somebody any kind of quote unquote investment advice without knowing their entire financial situation. So even telling somebody that hey, you know, if you buy single digits worth of your cash flow, it's if without knowing whether or not they're in debt or they have other stuff going on in their financial situation, like it's hard to just say hey, if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, you know, it's it's okay for you to put a thousand dollars into Bitcoin. Um, without knowing anything else yes that's probably fine but at the same time like they might have credit card debt they might have all sorts of other things going on in their situation they might have a sick loved one that they need to take care of right and that mm-hmm. most of their cash flow is going towards so um so that's why we always say like don't give investment advice without knowing somebody's entire situation um and that's typically why like i feel comfortable when somebody comes into my office and we really get to know each other and i learn about what their risk tolerance is and i learn about what they're looking to do with their money um i think the number one thing that um, just financial advisors in general need to consider, and it's not always considered, is that the, a human being is coming into your office, and that human being has human problems. And even though they are financial in nature, there's always it's a there's a human element behind every single one of those problems. Um, so something so simple as like I want to roll over my four hundred one k, right? Like that seems like okay, well that's just an easy you know we'll just help you take care of rolling over your four hundred one k. But meanwhile, that person either just lost their job or they're about to change jobs, right? Because that's the whole reason why they can roll over their 401k to begin with. And they're probably there's some sort of anxiety or worry or something else behind that. So something like Bitcoin, same thing, like there's a human element behind there, there's some there's a a person making that transaction. And in order to give that person good advice, you have to know who that person is and why they're doing it. So when you frame the conversation, I, it's sometimes really hard if you don't actually know that person that well. But one of the things that I've been talking about with my clients quite a bit, and it's usually the reason why somebody seeks out a financial advisor, right, is for some sort of security in their financial, in their wealth and in their picture in general. Um, and there's some security in holding a small amount of Bitcoin with your net worth. So that's usually where the conversation goes with a lot of my clients. Um, I can't speak for the broad uh, spectrum of people who are out there and what they're doing. Um, but Generally, like one to five percent of net worth as a security blanket, as almost as an insurance policy is something where, you know, it is possible that we wake up one day and the global financial situation, the whole system doesn't look like what we think it is today. It doesn't look like what we've been talking about or it looks totally different than what any of us could have ever anticipated. And it is possible that something like Bitcoin is what we end up using in the future, Mm. in which case it could act as an insurance policy. And that's typically how I've been talking about it with my clients. Yeah, I'd say yeah. we try and do. We don't. We don't certainly don't give investment advice, but we always talk about the concept of what it is. You mentioned it just a little while ago. Is that you? It's it's you found that it's easy to start introducing this type of stuff when your clients start asking about gold because it has same commodity type behaviors um, as gold does. And since they already understand that, that's a good entryway into what Bitcoin or how Bitcoin fits in an investment portfolio. Uh, but it's so much more. Do you find like it's like you're just you're getting stuck or stopped at that one point and, and like, OK, yeah. OK, now that you understand the concept of why you would invest in gold and how much you should maybe do that, depending on um, what you're doing as an investor, Bitcoin's a good similar thing because it's just digital. 
And it's a digit, it's a digitally scarce material that has, you know, similar type properties as gold. That's why people call it, you know, digital gold and stuff like that. But like, is that typically what you get to say? Or do you go further into it and say like all the other stuff that it could potentially do? Yeah, I think it's a combination of the two. So typically somebody comes in, they want to buy gold. Um, number one thing with gold, right, is that you have to be very good at market timing. And mm -hmm. if you're not good at market timing, then gold is only going to deliver inflation over a long run return. So um, that's what like a lot of research has shown is that gold pretty much delivers inflation. So inflation right now is running, I don't know exactly where it's running, but it's running around 2%, something like that. So if you want to make 2% on your money, and, um, then by all means, invest in gold, right? Um, people don't like to hear that, right? They like to hear, okay, well, when's the right time for me to buy gold and sell yeah. it so that I make, you know, 100%. Um, and my answer to that is always, I, I don't know, right? Because I literally don't know and nobody really knows, right? Um, and somebody who knows, maybe they know this time, but they don't know next time and they don't know the time after that. Um, and that's typically my view on just market timing in general. So my thought is that if I'm not willing to hold something for 30 plus years, then I, I don't really want to hold it. <laughs> um, and there are obviously shorter term assets that we can talk about that where that wouldn't make sense, obviously. But for long term assets, something like Bitcoin, something like stocks, um, if I'm not willing to hold it for 30 years, then I don't want to hold it at all because I'm not a market timer. Um, and then when you talk to a client about it from that perspective of, hey, well, if I'm going to hold gold for a really long time and it's only going to, you know, yield 2%, then, you know, maybe that's that's not really the best investment for me. Um, what are my other options here? And the reason why Bitcoin has a higher long run return is just because it's so early in what's a higher long run expected return, excuse me, not an actual higher long run return. We should just put that note in there yeah. <laughs> to start yeah. off. But um, why it has a higher expected return is because it's so early in the process, right? And there are so few adopters. Um, and it has a very, very long way to go with a relatively small market cap compared to what's going on with gold or even silver, right? So from that perspective, it does make sense to, to like when you're talking to a client about it, hey, like, you know, if you're looking for something that's going to be an insurance policy against some of the, all the things that are going on in, a geo, in like the geopolitical climate, um, this is an option for you that looks a little bit different. Um, and these are reasons why. And then we can get into it. Um, and that's usually it's actually an easier conversation to have than you would think once somebody is a little more open minded about other asset classes out there. Mm. So what what you said something like, um, you know, gold's just going to deliver inflation. And over time, you know, Bitcoin is going to deliver even less. So if if you if you think like that, wouldn't that make it like not a great place to store your wealth? Am I thinking about that wrong? I feel like uh, I'm thinking about that like wrong. Because how, <laughs> <wrong. 'Cause, 'cause laughs> how you're it's looking a at me, I feel like or is it because it's a deflationary investment uh, asset that you're thinking that way, or? Well, because like, I think I'm thinking about that wrong. So let's drop let's that. just yeah, like if if you have a <laughs> particular scarce asset. And popularity goes up, which means more people want it or demand increases and supply stays the same. Then the price of the price per unit volume will go up. And if the inflation rate drops over time, then you, 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 you limit the growth of that scarcity. So as, if, if demand continues to go up over time, then you have more and more and more demand with less supply, depending on. So the price of that asset uh, should go up. It's just like simple supply demand type of thing with how like how you introduce new units into the i guess we'll call it scarcity pool if you will right and since good like, old-fashioned equilibrium yeah there's just there's, and, and like you said we're so ridiculously early with this technology that one it, in my opinion it still maintains an incredibly high risk in terms of 
um, being the thing that gets used globally. But right now, it's you know one of the only thing. It's the most stable of all of the things that we're creating. Right, that has that type of property that yeah, isn't tied sure. to any type of particular um, controlling force. If I can add two points to Corey's note, um, the first thing being obviously that Bitcoin has the cap. Um, so from a perspective of gold versus Bitcoin, right there, there's we don't really know what the total supply of gold is out there. And obviously it gets more expensive to mine as the price goes up. And, and there are a number of reasons why there's an artificial cap, so to speak. But but in all intents and purposes, there isn't. Whereas with Bitcoin, there actually is a cap and there would have to be a lot that would go on with the software for people to change that. Um, so the, the supply demand that Corey was speaking of um, is, I think, amplified in that situation. Um, and the longer it's around, the longer the network effect basically has a chance to take hold, the more likely it is for Bitcoin to be mm -hmm. the one that survives over time. Um, and I had another point, but now I'm drawing a <laughs> kind of drawing a blank here on what I was going to add to your other to your other point, Corey. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, with when I talk to clients about that, I mean, it's it's. It's kind of interesting. It's actually easier for people to understand kind of um, the supply and demand metrics that typically go on a, in like a microeconomics class than it is for people to understand Keynesian economics and why the current system itself actually makes sense. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert on Austrian economics and I'm not going to, you know, pretend I am and spout all sorts of stuff on this podcast, but that's um, fine. We pretend to be experts <laughs> in everything. No worries. So, yeah. But I mean, the number one thing, right, is like we only really learn Keynesian economics in school. So what ends up happening is that when we hear of something that particularly could be a deflationary asset, right, like it kind of makes sense if you really think about it, right, wouldn't it be really great if we can just put money in the quote unquote bank and we don't have to worry about it losing value? Like that seems really great. Um, except that everything that we've learned in school from a macroeconomics perspective tells us that we're not supposed to think that. Um, and so it's actually like a complete reframing of your mind of how you think about what's going on um, globally and, and what effect that would potentially have on your quote unquote money. Mm. I've had so many moments like that where like everything they taught me in school was just a bunch of bullshit or not bullshit, but just, <laughs> just like it doesn't it was a work model. that way. It was a model that worked within a specific environment. And then you found yourself outside of that environment. You're like, Hey, why doesn't this work? It's like, Oh, that's for like, you know, that was, that was kind of like a toy model we were using. A uh, model my that's ass. Not how, that's not it how was it like a, in real life. Sorry. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't tell you about rushed, that. Yeah. It was a rough decision on what curriculum to use so you can make a deadline. That's what it was. That's exactly what it was. Well, I've, Anyways, always liked, I've always liked what she was just talking about, about all of this technology. I want to, so we can talk about other ones later if you want. But like, um, it's the first time, I think, maybe in history where we have a playground to deal with different economic models and see how they work on a large scale. Um, I don't think first time in history. I mean, but, at the scale we have it, right? Like, because we have the internet. And we yeah. can we can grow things so quickly in terms of a network because like there's there is no there is no blockchain network without the network. Mm -hmm. a, 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 the blockchain data structure is worthless without the people yeah. who all agree to use it. That's I why. mean, Morgan, you said uh, network effect, and it's at, it blows my mind that even Corey, we've been six and a half years now. Like I think you for you seven, Corey, for me, like six and a half years, Bitcoin's been on my radar. And there are people I get on the Internet, like I'll hop in to like Reddit, some subreddit. And there are people that are like just as passionate as I was six years ago. And I'm like, damn, this thing never ends. It's never going to stop. 
Like it's, it's never going to stop. So, um, but I, I want to change the topic a little bit. So right now, like culturally, there's like four age groups bat- battling, dual, battling for relevance. We've got <laughs> Gen Z, Gen X, which kind of doesn't give a shit, millennials and boomers that are just like, they're going at it. And you could tell and everything from like TV shows to presidential candidates. Now there's five leading candidates that are over the age of 70. And that blows my mind when I'm 70, I'm on a boat. I'm chilling somewhere. <laughs> like what the hell are you doing? Trying to lead a nation at 70 years old. But anyways, let me get off my soapbox. How is there a one size fits all strat where like, like it works for Gen Z, it'll work for Gen X, millennials, or do, do these different age groups have to think about investing and think about wealth building differently? Yeah, well, even within the age groups, they have to think about it differently. So, yeah, there's a general way for people to think about these things for sure, but everyone's situation different and it is different. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before about how there's a human behind every single financial decision. So, mm-hmm. You and me, we might have very different things that we want to do with our money, right? For instance, like I might want to go buy a house and then put my Mm -hmm. kid through school. And it seems like we're about the same age, but I don't actually know anything about your financial situation. So I don't necessarily know what you want to do with your money. Maybe you want to, I don't know. Do you have kids? I don't have kids, but I have four PlayStations. So that lets you know everything. (laughs) So you have four PlayStations. (laughs) Maybe you want to take care of a loved one, or maybe you just want to add a fifth PlayStation, right? So like, (laughs) it's really hard for, for like, for me, even for us being around the same age to have the same financial advice when I'm maybe about to go make a very large purchase with some of my money. And that would have to be in short term assets. And then I'm maybe about to make a medium term purchase with uh, another round of my money to potentially put kids through school or something like that. I mean, we could probably spend a whole other podcast going into school and education and why that's probably going to look different. But just for the purposes of this example, let's use that. And then I also would have, let's say, retirement money so that I'm not at the age of 70 trying to run the country so I can make $250,000 a year, right? So like there, there's all sorts of things that I'm doing with my money, whereas with your money, maybe you're just buying the fifth PlayStation, but then you're also thinking about retirement so that you're not running for office when you're at the age of 70. So your money would then have many more years to grow all of your money potentially would have many more years to grow than mine if I'm going to go out there and potentially buy things in the next three and then, you know, 15 years or something like that. Um, and so, like, it's it's really hard to kind of put a cookie cutter thing onto mm-hmm. any generation, um, little and even people within that generation. Um, but for the most part, I mean, there are rules of thumb, right, for a reason. Like, there's, um, there's the one where it's like, you're uh, 100 minus your age, and that's how much you should put into stocks, something like that, right? Like, I mean, you can probably, you know, alter these things to, to apply. What was that to last Bitcoin. one? It was 100 minus your age. So if you're 50, 100 minus your age, 50% of your assets can go into stocks. Um, that's like one of the rule of th- rules of thumb. Um, that may or may not make sense, though, right? If that person has a higher risk tolerance or they're not, like, actually wanting to retire at any given point in time, maybe they want to donate all their assets to charity at some point, and that, that charity would be an ongoing foundation, right? They could probably have 100% of their assets in stocks. I mean, these are all things where it really does depend on the person. And I know that that doesn't really answer your question, but well, um, that's why I'm a financial planner. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of those things that we've, we've been saying something similar for a very long time in terms of like in the last peak, we came up with, and I think D, you came up with this yourself um, at, through like conversations between me and you, it was the concept of HODL plus because most more often than not, when you're in the, 
the blockchain space, the the meme is to hodl or to hold and just wait. Just sit sit and wait. And like you said, 30 years is, is the time frame in which you're typically looking for. Um, but it's, for some of us who've been here for a long time, it, waiting was absurd. It was just an, it's only waiting was an absurd, absurd scenario, especially because everyone has some type of um, individual risk tolerance or the, the human aspect of things. So we come up with HODL Plus and that if it makes incredibly actionable change in your life based on like the type of money you threw into it in the first place, which we've always said, like, especially in the beginning, like if it was like you should only be throwing money you're okay with losing at bitcoin now it, it's a little more um nuanced nuanced stable <laughs> you want you're, you're looking at like a percentage of your high risk portfolio things like that but at the beginning it was like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. this is incredibly risky throw anything you're okay with losing it's basically gambling at this point and then that turned into you know for some people severe wealth and the, and the act of, of of only holding that in my opinion was a, a terrible decision to make and it was but it's always up the, in, to the individual so mm-hmm. uh i was espousing uh, along with d the act like the act of like if it makes you know a kind of if it puts you forward in where you think your life should be while still maintaining some holdings that are within like i don't know reasonable percentages of your high risk investment then you should you should take that out and use it yeah, for sure. I totally agree with that. So there are a number of um, schools of thoughts on this. Um, it's typically just known as rebalancing. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically what you can do is, so let's say you decide you have a moderate risk tolerance, you want to own some Bitcoin, um, your portfolio looks something like, let's say, 60% bonds, I'm sorry, 60% stocks, um, 38% bonds and 2% Bitcoin, right? And then that's what you say, okay, that's my strategic allocation. That's what I'm leaving it as. Um, and I'll decide whether or not I want to rebalance. Right. Let's say you did that in 2013 and you held Bitcoin all the way through, you know, the, the bull market where it went to 20,000. Now, all of a sudden, you're 10 percent in Bitcoin. Right. And you're a moderate risk tolerance. And that's actually feeling like, hey, this is a significant percentage of my net worth that I'm not really willing to lose. So there are two schools of thought. The one the first one is, well, I only invested, um, you know, 2 percent of my net worth and I was willing to lose 2 percent of my net worth. And it doesn't really matter what it did. I don't really care that it's 10 percent of my net worth now. Um, and I'm just only going to think about it as that original investment that I put in there. And maybe I'll sell just that original investment so I can get it back. And that'll make me feel good about the fact that I won't lose, quote unquote, any money on this investment. Um, but for all intents and purposes, the reason why I invested in it was that, you know, I wanted it to be just a part of my asset allocation. I'm going to leave it as is. The second school of thought is to say, hey, this is really outside my risk tolerance and my tolerance bands for what I think my asset allocation should be. And I'm going to rebalance it back. So at that point, what you would do is you would set the, the, the asset allocation back to what it originally was supposed to be. So from 10% of Bitcoin back down to 2%, and then you would adjust your stocks and bonds around it as well. So it would get back to that original allocation. Or um, buy a Lambo. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can do uh, like whatever <laughs> you want to do. Else, cash the, the I mean, that's kind of the it. other thing. Yeah, as well. Um, and that's something to consider too, for sure. So let's say you're a person who you decide to put 2% of your net worth in Bitcoin. And that 2% at the time, let's, let's say 10 grand, but now it's $100,000. And you and your spouse want to go buy a house. Um, yeah, maybe it does make sense at that point to sell some of your Bitcoin and to use it. I mean, it kind of is all back to the same point of it really depends on your situation. Um, and I highly recommend if you don't know what to do, seek out some financial help and talk to somebody who can help you with this. Um, because it always helps to have, I think it always helps to have a third party kind of looking without that emotional edge and everything else that you have on it. Um, to just kind of be a third eye and just say, hey, you know what, I can, 
I can advise you on this without having any kind of emotional ties to this. And you can then decide whether or not you want to actually do something with that advice. Mm -hmm. I personally have a financial planner and it changed my life. I didn't seek one out. The universe just gifted me with one because the universe knew. They were like, dude, four PlayStations. Universe? (laughs) Or the universe gave you a financial planner? Okay, Corey, don't think so highly of yourself. Okay. <laughs> we have the same financial Corey, planner that I recommend. Corey actually, <laughs> Corey actually recommended one towards me. And it changed. You're right when you say that, like, it takes the emotion out. Because you, you run through all these equations in your head. But then when you're staring at the PlayStation and the emotion takes over, it's a different story. But the financial planner helps you, like, think about the equations with a mo- not you know it's just a plan you're building a plan and then you follow it and it's it's been amazing for me um so this is just me talking to the audience now is get yourself a financial planner talk to morgan richard actually because she can help you out because if you're anything like me you know playstation 5's come around the corner but see i'm smart about it now i've been saving up a little bit every month to buy just one this time <laughs> So there you go. That's why you're an adult now. I would take it one step further, though, (laughs) if I could add to what you said, um, that you should look for somebody who. So there are there are financial planners or you should look for somebody who's fee only. So what that means is that they're only charging for their advice. They're not charging based on products or commission. You should look for somebody who's a fiduciary. That means they're going to put your interest first. Um, And the third thing is that you should look for somebody that falls within your niche. So, um, I mean, yeah, I guess Bitcoin could be a niche, um, but. Um, it's typically not. It's probably not who, what you're going to find in the financial advising crowd. But you should look for somebody who works with people who look like you because they've seen your situation before. Um, and to work with somebody who's willing to be collaborative with you, not somebody who's just going to like toss a financial plan across the desk to you and say, hey, do these things. Um, because those plans, they don't work. Um, and I know that because I've worked with clients in in all sorts of capacities. And typically when I don't know. I, I, maybe you guys are different than me, but when somebody tells me what to do, right, my first reaction is like, Ugh, I don't want to do that, even if it's the right thing to do. Um, but when I come around to it on my own, when I've, when I've been the one to come up with it, then I'm much more likely to follow that advice. So you want to find somebody who is going to light the fire under you and then also help you come to those conclusions on your own. That's quality advice. That also, you take any piece of advice. advice. That's, that's <laughs> advice. I, um, I got some questions to change the subject just just a little bit before we, I guess, start to wrap. And that is like everyone you keep hearing all these like uh, talking heads is what I like to call them about our current economic state. And like, does it really seem that viable that things could just like so there's, there's a lot of people that say like, oh, this is a, this is going to be a great recession, they call it. Or I heard one the other day that was called the Great Sag, and I hadn't heard that one before. I've never heard that one. <laughs> it was on like it was like an article in CNN Money. This billionaire. It's always billionaires talking. Like, does uh, no one ever talk to poor people about money? Like, I wish that would be a fu- no. I guess it wouldn't be funny actually if they even wanted. Anyways, let me just get <laughs> back on topic here. Um, is that come? Is there? There's no way to predict things like that, right? If something happens to the economy and it's just it's shitty, that just is what it is, right? You you had to have had foresight to, I guess, diversify your portfolio enough to get through that. Yeah. So yeah. typically, what we've seen is that economists who have been able to call one or two recessions are not able to call or to to call all of them. Um, so. 
there's like um it's it's kind of a, a math thing. So basically, let's say you have a really good batting average, right? And you're batting 700. Um, when you apply that to financial, um, like making financial decisions, let's say you're right 70% of the time when you're picking a stock or you're making a decision about the economy of what it's going to do, or you're trading Bitcoin or any of these other cryptocurrencies. So if you're right 70% of the time, you actually have a really good track record, except that then you have that 70% probability every single time that you make a decision. So the first time you make a decision, it's 70%. The second time it's 70%. So you multiply those together. Now you're batting less than 500. You're at 49% and so on. If you make another decision, now you have a 21% chance of being right. As you keep adding decisions, it keeps getting lower and lower and lower because that's the way probability works. So basically what happens is that People, they're really good at calling, let's say, one or two recessions, and people think, oh, they're the end-all, be-all. I think Noriel Rubini was one of them um, who called 2008, um, and now he's saying all sorts of things about Bitcoin that, I, I mean, I personally think that that he's wrong and, and he's going to be proven wrong, but there are a lot of people who think, oh, well, Noriel Rubini, he called the 2008 recession, this great recession, he must know, and therefore, without me doing any other additional research, I'm going to follow him blindly. And I actually, I think it really is to people's detriment that these people, these pundits, they come out and they they even voice their opinions because most of the time they're wrong. Um, and they're right one time, right? It's like that the old adage that a, a um, broken clock is right twice a day. Um, and it, it it really is to the detriment of like the, the retail public, the people who are going out there who they don't have necessarily the time or the resources to make their, like to, to know what the right decision is. So they just follow somebody who made one good call one time. Um, and then they get themselves into trouble. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's typically how I feel about it. I mean, people, they don't they don't know and they can't predict the future and they're mostly wrong. Um, and when they're right one time, it actually is, I think, does more harm than good. I definitely mm. agree with all that. Um, on top of that, if if it's it's just generally bad if you're following someone blindly. Yes, if, for if, sure. If someone <laughs> is saying something and you don't go why and they can't explain it, then something is wrong. And I understand that you have to make kind of you have to concede a little bit because you can't look everything up. But you should be able mm -hmm. to dig if you want to. And if someone isn't able to provide evidence for what they're saying, um, for those who would like to dig, then they should definitely not be followed. Yeah, I also think it's a mindset, right? So somebody who who is looking at something with a pessimistic view and who was probably very easily able to see all the um, issues that were going on with mortgages and, and uh, mortgage-backed securities at the time, the way that they look at things is very different than an optimist who is working, let's say, in technology. Yeah, who, that's true. Yeah, who like you know who can see you know, the the shooting star going through the sky. Um, those two people, they can't predict the same thing. So that person who is an optimist in technology, uh, the same the same way, they are not going to be able to predict a recession that's happening and vice versa. So if you're only following, let's say, one person because you heard them call one thing right and it helped. And typically people like to follow the pessimist because it saves them money rather than the one who makes them money. <laughs> um, it's you're you're going to miss out um, on either side. So that's kind of why I like to have this um kind of a thing in my firm where it's like, hey, if we're going to hold a long-term asset, we're going to hold it. And we're not going to worry about when we enter because it's going to be higher in 30 years from now. Um, and mm. it kind of applies all the time. So um, I was actually talking to about to this today with my associate planner who works in my firm. Um, we were joking around. Well, it's like, oh, well, it's so easy for me because, you know, all my clients, they're around the age of 40. So like they have 30 years to wait for stocks to pan out or for Bitcoin or whatever they're holding, right? They have 30 years because they're not going to be pulling from their retirement accounts until they're 70 anyways. That's what the rule is. And then <laughs> he's like, well, what about when, you know, they're 65 and they're telling you like, hey, I'm going to pull from my retirement account in five years. And I'm like, well, 
you know, they're 65, so they're probably going to live another 30 years. So we have to make sure that we they have enough money to last them those 30 years. So like a portion of their portfolio will still be in long-term assets. Um, and then he, he said to me, well, what about when they're 92? And I'm like, well, you know, by then it doesn't really matter because like, you know, they could theoretically live some more time, but maybe they want their assets to live beyond them. So there's kind of always a reason why you can hold a long-term asset in your portfolio. You just have to be willing to hold it over that period. And you have to make sure that you time the other parts of your cash flow correctly. So um, it's why I'm a huge believer in asset liability matching, because if you get that right, then you can pretty much hold anything. Because if you're matching up when your cash flows are going to go out with what kind of asset you're holding, you're never going to be in a situation where Bitcoin's, you know, tanking or the stock market is tanking and you're selling because you got that part of the asset allocation right to begin with. Mm. Those are some strong, strong points. I'm going to share this interview with so many people I know. Yeah. Just so they can get their <laughs> get their head out of their ass. Even if it, even outside of Bitcoin, <laughs> just to be like, this is how you yeah. handle your money, period. Uh, like, but one of the, I guess, a question I have based on long term assets and like thirty, like, like I'm, I'm, let's call them thirty yearables. What factors come into play when deciding just, what a good thirty yearable is? Did you just make that up? I did. I made a that up. That's not, yeah, not I a like technical that. term. Um, I should. Can I use that, Corey? Absolutely. That's definitely. You can use that. I would like credit occasionally. Say this guy on a podcast I was on one time said this. Yeah. <laughs> a thirty yearable. Um, yeah, a good thirty yearable <laughs> is um, is is something that has has a proven track record of of something that you can hold for a long period of time. So um, stocks, for instance, right? It an individual stock wouldn't be a good thirty yearable, but a a portfolio of stocks, right? If you're willing to hold, let's say the S&P 500, or um, I mean, my, my portfolios typically have 13, 12 or 13,000 companies in it. So we consider that to be stocks just in general, all 13,000 companies are stocks. So if 10% of them go out of business, yeah, it's going to hurt. But like that position is not going to go to zero. Um, if all 13,000 companies in that portfolio go to zero, that means that like we're in some sort of Mad yeah. Max scenario. And we, have, we, you know, maybe thermonuclear war happened or something, right? <laughs> like we're not exactly worried about. You're not our worried stock. about your stock. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's kind of how I think about it when I'm thinking about a 30-year bull. It's something that like, yeah, it can hurt in the short term, but it's not going to go to zero. Um, and I, I've been thinking about Bitcoin in this way just because it has been around for so long, um, and because I have. Um, maybe I, through osmosis, heard about a lot of the other stuff going on in the space, um, and and what other crypto assets, so to speak, are are going are are like the, all of the rage. Um, and I definitely hear it from clients for sure. But I mean, my my number one job as a fiduciary of my clients is to make sure that nobody is investing in anything that could potentially be a scam. Um, I don't feel that way about Bitcoin. I certainly feel that way about a lot of the different cryptocurrencies that are out there. Um, I don't want to get into why on this podcast because we can <laughs> probably spend a pretty long time about Maybe that. Maybe that's but, another podcast because um, I'm, just I'm, I'm very interested in this. And like the word scam <laughs> to me, the word scam to me is a terrible word as it's used in the cryptocurrency industry. There are plenty of them though. And so it's yeah. one of those situations where like, I don't know. I don't like I don't like the misuse of the word, but people need to know. I totally that they exist. agree. Yeah, I don't like the misuse of the word. But having said that, like, I don't want anyone I, I would never allow any of my clients to be in something like BitConnect where like they literally have the pyramid scheme on their website. Right. So like they're they're for sure they're people are taking advantage of those out there who think that if they just buy something that's worth a penny or, you know, mm -hmm. five cents, that they'll have the potential to, you know, to make twenty thousand um, dollars. And I do feel like it's my job, especially for my clients, um, but certainly for anybody who asks me of the, like something of this um, for me is that, 
you know, I, I don't want people to lose their money on something that could potentially be a scam. Um, and I certainly don't want them thinking it's a 30 yearable um, yeah. when they're going to lose all of their money. So that's really kind of the litmus test there is like, is this asset going to be around and will it be permanently impaired in 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now? Mm. 30 yearable. I like that. That might be the name of this episode. <laughs> 30 yearable. It's, it's funny you mentioned like when someone like it's very because, Corey, you're kind of pessimistic about the long term of this stuff sometimes. And I find that I'm optimistic. I'm well, you know, a shit realistic ton more about the tech than I do. I'm realistic in terms of how it works oh, and where it could go. Get out of here. Not pessimistic. pessimist says they're a realist. <laughs> Every pessimist says they're a realist. Yeah, whatever. I also understand See. how it works. So that helps. A pragmatist. Humans are humans, <laughs> and a lot of humans are shitty. So let's go with that. That's a pe- that, that's a pessimistic viewpoint. Oh yeah, for sure. I actually happen to think the opposite. I think that humans are humans, and most people do try to do their best. They do the best yeah. with what they have. Yeah. That, that's yeah, not real. your best, Corey. But you know, it's their best. I call it like <laughs> I don't. Know, I was. I, this is a very weird tangent that we're going off on, and we're kind of running out of time now. But like, I, I've always considered a, a, a local optimization. Um, for every individual, right? It's 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 always people are always trying to maximize themselves and the individual, like themselves and the individuals around them that they that they find no, important. Not. And more often than not, the decisions that they make will not benefit anything outside of that small local, like local maximum, if you will. And it, I mean, the I don't more know, money man. you have, the more not benefiting to people outside of you. And some people get greedy, but like. I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's, it really depends on the person, though. Of it course. Really does. I mean, mm-hmm. Of course. It with the depends. caveat, it's always going to work. It, individuals are going to be individuals. But like, just like statistics, like you can, like people tend towards certain types of behaviors. And with money, it's like they, you, people have to have comfort in their ability to pay their bills, feed their family, and live for the foreseeable future for whatever that is for them. Yeah, for sure. But I think if you take it one step farther, right, if you're able to pay your bills, um, and this is the work that I, I like to do with clients and that typically clients seek me out for, is finding that thing that makes your life feel most fulfilled. Um, and it's not something that we touched on really in this podcast because you guys are you're the Bitcoin podcast. But um, the thing that really helps people make fundamental changes in their life and ultimately helps them to better the world, really, um, because they put their best, their best selves into the world is finding the thing that really makes them tick, that lights their fire, that makes them live that best and most fulfilled life. And that's something that financial planning, um, I know it kind of sounds trite, like, hey, come to me and I'm going to help you live your best and most fulfilled life with the assets that you have. Right. But um, but it is really true. Like what what we do um, at my firm is we talk about what's most important to you. We come up with a way to prioritize it, and we spend a lot of time prioritizing what's most important. And then we come up with a strategy for you to actually achieve that thing that is most important to you. And then once you're able to achieve that, we come back in a year and a half or a year, a year and a half, two years later, and we do it all over again. And we talk about what's most important and then how you want to prioritize it and then the strategy for you to execute on that. So you keep ticking away all of these things that you want to do to live your best and most fulfilled life. And what I've found is that once for my clients, once their basic needs are met, right, they're able to do the next thing. So maybe then they affect the small community around them. And then after that, they're able to affect even more people and more people because like the the needs and the the thing that makes you feel most fulfilled is by actually helping more people around you as you kind of go through the stages. 
I believe in everything mm-hmm. you just said. Have you ever heard the song Living My Best Life with Lil Duvall and Snoop Dogg? I haven't, but now I want to listen to it. You're gonna you're gonna <laughs> wanna listen to that one. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, it's a good one. Well, I guess we got one last question for you. Yeah, sure. In ten words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? Oh wow. In 10 words or less. I can't do anything in 10 words or less. I mean, you've heard me. I'm like the (laughs) long-winded financial planner on the planet. (laughs) Um, hmm. It's okay if you fail it. It's not like like nothing happens. The majority of people have failed it. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I don't know. It's getting cold Um, 50-50. It's a money. Ooh. I like answers like that because it reinforces my bias. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, it's all, it's a money. Okay. I can dig it. What do you think, Corey? It's good for me. Works for me. It's because it is. You? So <laughs> you said 10 words or less. So that's the only way I can be less long winded is when you really constrain me down. <laughs> nice. Just be real well, general. Morgan, <laughs> thank you very much uh, for coming on the show. Um, I knew it was going to be a great show just because I feel like there's a lot of sense that can be talked into the greater crypto community on a lot of avenues. But this especially is one of them, uh, just because uh, I, I know some uh, in the crypto community just need just need a little, uh, I guess, a lighthouse of wisdom when it comes to uh, financial advice or financial thinking about finances. So thank you very much. Yeah, for yeah. sure. If I can do a quick plug, um, I have my Go own podcast. It. It's called Money Owners Podcast. Um, if you want more information about the show, um, go to moneyowners.com. And um, you can also schedule a um, free 30-minute call with me if you want to talk about something going on in your financial life or really anything going on in your life. But I'm generally more of an expert in financial-related stuff. So, you know, you can come with all sorts of problems, but typically financial ones are the ones that I'm going to be able to help you solve. Um, so <laughs> definitely, definitely go check that out. Um, and yeah, the show, we just put out um, an episode all about student loans. So I don't know if any of your listeners out there are struggling with some of that stuff, but um, we had a really, uh, like, a super expert on the show last week about it. So I highly recommend checking out Money Owners Podcast and seeing if it's for you. Just sold me. I'm going to go check it out. <laughs> I have a fat stack of student loans that will always be a burden. So that's fun. Thanks a lot, Morgan. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on. And welcome back to the second half of the round table. And back from the interview, we really hope you enjoyed that discussion with Morgan Richard. Um, and yeah, she does happen to be the wife of Pierre Richard. If you are a maximalist, then you damn well know who that is. Um, yeah, she's, she's pretty awesome. I had the pleasure of talking with her for like a split second at a conference called BitBlock Boom, a Bitcoin maximalism conference. And, um, she knows her shit. So anyways, uh, let's get back to what we were talking about. And that's how shitty Hex is and how we're just kind of trying to put the red flag up on this so you guys don't get yourself in another hey 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 situation <laughs> i'm just curious okay. like well, like the whole thing is is the whole thing is tailored around making uh richard hart rich that's the whole thing right mm-hmm. not only does he have control 
over all of the ether being put into the contract. Hmm. But he has half of all hex that will ever be brought into circulation. Now, there's no reason or use or change for the purpose of hex. So that alone should be a red flag. Mm-hmm. So the whole point of the entire ecosystem is just to make money, all of which is going to Richard or to yeah, Richard. Hmm. Let's call him Dick. It's all going to Dick. Uh, and that's it. So like, what's like, what at what point do you think people are going to list, use, exchange, hold, adopt, hex? If it doesn't have a use case, and if They're it does, not. it's just guaranteed. Based on the way the contract works, it has no use case that differentiates itself from Bitcoin or Ether or any of the litany of other coins out there. The only re- the only reason to put money into it is to try and get a larger percentage distribution of the total pool by throwing real value into it. So like mm-hmm. what he's talking about is trying to get people and there's like multiple, multiple, multiple claims is how rich you're going to be based on the, like the value you throw into it. Mm. So you get some arbitrarily large number of something that's worthless. Yeah. See, I just don't like that, man. It's too easy. And this is just like, if, if anybody is telling you you're going to get rich, that's the kind of person that you don't need to surround yourself with. I think like, uh, try to surround yourself with people that are trying yeah, to build so, wealth. Yeah, but it's so appealing. For it people. is it, obviously you don't know any better. This keeps happening over and over and over again, right? Like it doesn't. We could even if this thing doesn't work out well for Dickhart, three years from now, there's going to be another one that's going to be like, yeah, if you give money to me, I am going to make you rich. That's just it's never ending. We've seen it since we were kids. Remember, a guy with the fucking punctuation all over his suit in the green suit that would like, yeah. He would be like, yeah, give me my, give me your money. I'm going to fucking make it money for you. And mad I was money. like, mad money, was, wasn't it? Huh? I don't know. I feel like that was called mad money. That might be the other sure. redheaded guy on. Well, mad money's the guy who has all the fucking bells and whistles on scene mm-hmm. or on MSNBC. as like, yeah, uh, I called, I forget. Um, doesn't matter. I used to listen to him a lot. And then ever since 2008, I've listened to him a lot less. Um, but that's always going to be be there. So stick with people that are like, no, there's actually like proven ways to build wealth. And that's what you should do. And like we've never not told anyone that this is a risky investment and how to handle risky investments. It's really simple. It's a small part of your portfolio. And if it hits, great. But then you hodl plus or a.k.a. rebalance and be don't don't stop being smart because you rolled the dice and you got lucky on your crapshoot and boom, all of a sudden, no, you're not a fucking expert. You're not a genius. <laughs> you got lucky with your with your risky investment and you need to keep on doing the, the blocking and tackling of growing your wealth. <laughs> right. It's like it's like what's the what's a good analogy? Like. If you happen to be walking down the street and you find a $20 bill on the street, pick it up. And then you decide to make your career walking down the street. (laughs) I'm a professional street walker. I'm making so much money. I'm going to get rich. Everyone should be street walking. 
It was like <laughs> fucking five months ago I was walking. I found a 20. Well, have you found any more 20s? I it was mean, a five-minute walk. It was a five-minute walk, and I found a $20 bill. That's $20. It's $20 a minute. Or twenty dollars every five minutes, right? That's, that's a great return. Oh my goodness, that's 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 actually a pretty spot on analogy of the way people do. Um, and and this is just me as someone who used to like obsess over the markets. All the like previous cycles of things that you could bank on for a, a solid two years, mind you, just two years you could bank on them. Those things are those things are gone. Like the the. The fall bump, if you guys haven't noticed, late October, early November, that's not a thing anymore. It was a thing at one point back in 2013, 2014, 2015. That's not a thing anymore. The spring bump, um, I bet you what's not going to happen next year is there for at least out of the last six years, four of those years, end of January was beautiful for crypto. It was like monumentally beautiful. Bet you that doesn't happen in 2020. Right. Also, midsummer was usually beautiful for crypto. I guarantee you that's not going to happen either. So I don't know what that means. I just know that since those cycles aren't happening anymore, the game has changed. So adopt with how the game has changed. Um, I guess that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's good. Good way to say it. Because oh, yeah. uh, by the by, by happenstance, I happen to make a shirt on our store store at <laughs> podcast.com. Um, it says, uh, like the default says Dick Hart is a scamming twat said God as a quote, right? <laughs> um, and it's a personalizable t-shirt person, personalized. I can't say the word right now. Why don't you just say yeah. customizable? You can customize it. Change the word scamming twat and you can change who said it. Right. So. Get on the store, buy that shirt, change it to what you think it should say. Yeah. I like scamming twat, and I think God said that. So how did you <laughs> how did you make it customizable? I don't know. It's like it's something that um we, we have that ability I'll, now. Yeah, it's like part of the the platform that makes our 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 shirts because we don't do any of the stuff. It's just a platform. I forgot what it's called. Shopify. Uh, no, no, like no, the no. like the uh, app that we have integrated print, into Printful. Shopify, Printful. where we outsource all of the clothing stuff to. Yeah, right. Um, and there's no real profits on these shirts. That's they're just kind of expensive because of the platform. I have like maybe sixty cents to a dollar profit for sure. Yeah, we so don't, I don't think we're making rich. We don't make money off our merch, guys. It's it's more so for you guys if you like find that you really love listening to us, which we know that you do because there's a lot of you that listen to us every single week. Um, Regardless, I think we could play like 10 minutes of fart noises and people would still like listen. They'd which, laugh at it. Which I'm not going to do. <laughs> but um, buy a shirt. You know, you can now I know that we could customize shirts. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, you can um, have some fun there probably. But yeah, buy a shirt. Take a, like, take a photo with it. Put it on Twitter. And we'll like that tweet. I will like and share that tweet for <laughs> sure. <laughs> well... I guess we should wind it down. Um, it has been a long show. Uh, we hope that you all enjoyed it. Um, I really don't have much else to add. Unless you do. Oh, I'm good. Don't fuck with that hex shit. Okay? Don't don't, don't fuck with it. He's been podcasting. I don't, say scam. I don't say scam ever. I'm saying scam. 
This dude got into podcasting like at the tippy top height of 2017 um, exuberance, like as a character. So just be careful with this guy. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I'm trying to find out. Ah, that's my new shout out. So uh, if you like the show, and we hope that you did, go to the Bitcoinpodcast.com. Um, you, somewhere on there you can subscribe. Um, you can look at your podcast app right now and subscribe. Uh, tell your friends and family about the show. Uh, we heavily recommend going and listening to our old shows because, um, you know, if you start at the beginning, you can kind of see it's literally an audible history of crypto. And that's kind of cool to think about that like that. So go listen to the old stuff and, you know, you can see like what we're talking about when the price was $400. And you're like, wow, that's bananas. Uh, and how excited we were. <laughs> <laughs> Man. And so um, what else do we do? Um, hashing it out is hashing it out is like arguably more popular than even this show. Um, now we've taken, hashing, a, we've taken a two week hiatus over the holidays. We are coming back. Hashing it out. Like, uh, it gets more Twitter love than this show's ever gotten and more internet love than this show's ever gotten, which is, which is awesome. And I'm very happy and proud for you and Colin because, um, you guys don't shy away from making it like super technical. And that's what the space needs is like a, a weekly dose of, yeah, this is, like bleeding edge tech and we're trying to figure it out together. So check out hashing it out. Dose of ether has had to take a break because Evan uh, has mono. So something's wrong with his throat. He's getting, he's going to the doctor. So uh, sorry for putting your business in the street, Evan, but you know, we love you. You got, you got the mono. So stop. uh, (laughs) I don't think it's mono. (laughs) Whatever, whatever, whatever he had, has been fixed. There's just, it's his, his 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 voice is weak, and yeah. so he's not doing those for you. You got to be careful until what I can you put. Health is more important put. than yeah. that. Uh, Lucian also has been. You should actually talk to Lucian soon, Corey. He's he's been doing some some really cool shit. I talked to him for a while yesterday. Uh, Lucian is the host of Dose of Ether for you guys that don't know, um, and Lucian is a boss. So uh, also. Um, Jesse and I are in the process of rebranding just the headers into what the header, and you'll find out what all that is next week because the rebrand is done. So uh, we hope you enjoy that. We've been releasing live behind the scenes of us recording what the header. So if you're bored on late Thursday night and you want to see me and Jesse uh, relearn just Bitcoin, and then we're going to take that and we're actually going to build fruit token. And then we're gonna take that, and we're gonna then we're gonna learn how to build smart contracts. It's a it's a we me and Jesse start slowly started to realize that headlines suck. Actually, knowing this technology doesn't, so we <laughs> so so we were gonna like say you know what, fuck the headlines, and let's just like publicly go on a learning adventure. And we it's not called just the headers anymore. It's called what the header, because we're not original. So, <laughs> that being said, um, what else? That's about it. Shout out to Leanne La Havas. 
and Zoe, not Zoe, sorry, Zoe, you've been replaced. Zoe's done, huh? Yeah, it's just, she promoted a scammy crypto, and I looked over that because she's hot, but then now I'm just like, you're not in any movies anymore, you're like, you just, you just, yeah. sorry, Zoe, it's, we've, we had a good run for the past four years, but now it's Leanne LaHavis and uh, Zazi Beats. So, uh, yeah, that's all I got. Play.